Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tastings Studios, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast, the podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. This is Bullhagen. This is Victor. And Peter's back. Yay. Hey, Pete. You miss us? We had to re-record a few without you. Did you feel lonely? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I had, had a lot of things going on. Oh, my mic is... Right. Okay, so if I sound a little weird, um, we just had all of the technical issues today. All of we, them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> my, my, not only, the, the listener will know that my computer uh, had some issues, and so I had to rebuild my computer the other day, and now my audio interface died so i'm on my old uh yeti microphone which <laughs> i think sounds worse but maybe they won't notice the difference i don't know yeah it sounds uh, good but over I, here. well you're you're listening to this mic so <laughs> oh i understand okay um so hopefully it sounds okay but I'll and, and so the last couple anyway. episodes were recorded on my laptop i don't know if it sounds any different but yeah it sounded okay but yeah it's it's been a mess and i am Ready to finally get it going. Right on. But nonetheless, not only with all these technical issues, we even got an extra episode out this week. <laughs> That's right. So we're, we're bringing it. We're bringing it. I hope it. it's good. I didn't listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's probably some timing issues. Yeah. Because I was, I was uh, moving five. I'm not the editor that Peter is. I do my best, but. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Uh, Today I've got uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the text, and then I have uh, some mailbag things I wanted to talk about. We have some questions nice. to answer. So um, we've gotten some feedback on that the ADHD episode, right? Uh, so um, I've heard some good things about that. So if you know anybody who who or someone who you know has that issue on mind, you can direct them to that. I wonder if and we actually had a lot of listeners to that one, and I'm wondering if any you know poor soul like got to their I need to find something about ADHD, and so they go to their uh, their podcast app, and then they okay. type in ADHD, and that <laughs> and that one popped up. <laughs> right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that that was a really good episode. I gotta say, like, I think it's the my favorite one that I've participated in as Vicar nineteen. Okay, so there it is. All right, and uh, um, and also uh, let us know what you think about those uh, listeners about the preaching uh, workshop the. The anatomy of a sermon, uh, and because uh, I'm curious on if that's something you want to see continue now and again, um, I enjoy doing them. I just think it's a, I like the behind the collar, what kind of things goes through my mind when I preach, right? And then how does a, and then seeing the whole process from my thoughts before to, you know, the thoughts that I have after I preach it, even in this one. So, right. Anyways, um, so I have uh, to drink. Uh, I have um, my uh, pure aqua sparkling flavored natural flavored coffee. <laughs> it's carbonated coffee. Oh my goodness! Do you know what I like about it though? It's it's not like carbonated coffee. It's like uh, the it's carbonated water with coffee essence. I, right, that's um, carbonated coffee. <laughs> but I know it's not really, but because uh, coffee isn't clear, you see. Well, that's true. Right. And actually, it's made with mineral water. Oh. So this can, because it's mineral water, has actually 4% 4 of the daily allowance of calcium. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. So if you 
drank like <laughs> how many would it take? <laughs> Twenty five of them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> what, what do you What do you got there? So uh, it turns out I live really close to a liquor store that sells interesting beer in one corner of the store, and so I have like eighty feet. From your house. It's about 80 feet. I, I don't even think that's a, any kind of an exaggeration or understatement. That is probably about the distance. Not that I live in the hood. It's a very nice little store. Uh, anyway, this is from Lake Time Brewery out of Clear Lake, Iowa, and it's called PB&J. And they have combined two of their, uh, their, their alcoholic beverages into one. It's a peanut butter porter plus a berry ale, and the berry ale portion is called That's My Jam. But the peanut butter porter portion is just called peanut butter porter. But it is very good. It is reminiscent of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, so you've had this before. I have. This is, I think, my third or fourth one out of the six-pack that I bought. Um, very good. What do you got, Pete? Um, I've got my sneak energy. I actually just finished up the last of my little tub for today. Hmm. And goodness knows I need it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, Vicar, what are you preaching on? Ah, the Holy Gospel for the one-year lectionary. So that is going how, to How be... about, uh, you, you, it's kind of a longer one. Do you yeah. want to read the whole thing or you want to, why don't you kind of give us the highlights of it? Certainly. Okay, this is from Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. And it's right after there was a discussion of uh, of how to deal with somebody sinning against you in a in the church environment. So Matthew 18 is kind of famous for that amongst us clergy types and church workers. Oh, it's a Matthew 18 issue. It's a Matthew 18 issue. That means that somebody needs to be corrected and the procedure is laid out by Jesus talking to the disciples saying if somebody sins against you, go and talk to them one on one, then take a few witnesses. Right. Win your brother over. When yeah. And, and then, then it brings it to the whole church and that's why we use church. it for church Talk about church discipline, and right. then it says, "Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them." Not just like this, oh, oh, Jesus is with me, huh? but, but Jesus <laughs> yeah, with His like authority, that. His word. You know, not right. in, not in your former life way, right? Where it was a personal revelation, right? But in the way of when the, the church speaks with the authority of Christ, right? And then it gets to, uh, to directly actual, after that right. is the text for today, right? And so the text for today, Jesus, or Peter then goes up to Jesus and says, well, how often do I have to do this thing? How often my brother sins against me and I have to forgive him? And very generously suggests, how about seven times? And of course, Jesus gives him an answer that shows that Peter's question was itself an error because he says not seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, being formerly an engineer, I like to do the math, but it's not really about math, right? You know, you because we. It's, it, what I like about the text too yeah. is you and I have talked about this text at length. Yes, we preparing have. for your sermon. Right, right. We talked about this text at length at a winkle. Yes, we did. Right. Yeah. And now we're talking at length here, and I'm still coming up with ideas about this text. <laughs> right. Oh, well, tomorrow when I show up, are you going to just shuffle, shuffle me to the side? Because, go ahead and because I just thought what just dawned on <laughs> me about this text that I haven't even talked about in any of these contexts was the fact that. Uh, of Peter saying, "Well, how often should I forgive my brother?" Now, if you take in the context of the of the church, right, and and how we are in a sense the brother forgiven, yes, we, right, yes, that's a good right. Way to think so of it. The, the, when we think, "Well, how often do I need to go and have my sins forgiven?" Seven right. times. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point. 
you know, my point is is uh, about hearing God's word, receiving the forgiveness. Well, how often do I have to go to the Lord's Supper? How often, how often? do I have to hear God's word? Right. It's the problem of asking, what's the least I can do rather than what's the best I can do? And uh, that theme, uh, it seems like, has come up in my life a lot. So, But uh, yeah, exactly. He's asking, uh, you know, how much do I got to do this? And then it's good enough. But the way you said it was interesting the other way around. Well, how often do I have to be forgiven is the other side of that coin. And of course, it's however many times it takes that you repent of your sins that you need to be forgiven. And Right. Yeah. All right. So that's not the only answer he gives, though, because Jesus then launches into a parable of the unforgiving servant who was brought before the king because the king decided it was time for everybody to settle accounts. The king brings this servant forward and he owes him 10,000 talents, an amount of money and wealth that you could never repay. This servant could not repay that even if he was going to live a thousand years, he wouldn't live long enough to pay such a debt. And so he, he, he pleads for mercy and he kind of kind of ridiculously says, oh, just give me enough time and I'll pay it back, which is impossible. But nevertheless, in spite of uh, his debt and in spite of his uh, useless promise, the king forgives him the entire amount and sets him free. Um, So one of the things that is really interesting about that is he didn't just set him free, right? He didn't say, oh, okay, well, I will set you free to go work off this debt for me. Uh, about, but I'll maintain the debt. No, the first thing that the king does is forgives the entire thing. So the, so the parable starts with an astonishing amount of mercy and forgiveness from the king, and then he also sets the man free. And that is a, that's a beautiful gospel lesson already for us. Mm-hmm. The amount of forgiveness we needed is, uh, is overwhelming in quantity. Like It's beyond, it transcends what we could even really imagine what we needed in order to be forgiven. Um, and then the servant sent on his way. And, and we might wish that the parable stopped there because that's a beautiful gospel lesson. Instead, it doesn't stop there because this servant then goes, finds a brother or a fellow servant, as it is in the parable, who owes him a much less significant amount, 100 denarii. So he finds a fellow servant that owes him 100 denarii. It's not, it's not nothing. And maybe, maybe we'd think of it as like 100 days worth of work. And, you know, and we all have bills and stuff. It'd take right. a while to pay that back. Like 10, 15 grand. Yeah, I think of it, the number that came to my mind, and I think we avoid putting dollars on it, but since I'm not actually preaching the sermon right now, I will. I, th- I was thinking like 20,000. It's like you bought a used car from this guy, or he bought it from you rather, and he, and he hasn't paid you a dime for it yet. Something like that. But yeah, that's a, it's not nothing, but it's like compared to the debt that he was forgiven, it's a pittance. Um, and so, so that, well, if, to put it in context, so that's like an entire vicar's salary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. Right. It would take uh, on vicar's salary. Salary. It would take me a long time to pay back a hundred denarii. And the servant, maybe that's all he got. Uh, so, and as we know, the story is pretty famous. This uh, the servant that was forgiven the enormous debt has no pity whatsoever on his fellow servant, and he holds him to account. He doesn't set him free. He says, "You will pay this back." You will pay it back now. In fact, you're going to go uh, be thrown into jail until you can pay me back, which only makes it even more impossible to pay back. Um, even chokes him, which I think is fascinating. So this does not escape the king's notice. The king is made aware that the uh, servant forgiven the huge amount has not passed on the king's mercy to his fellow servant. He didn't pass it on. He felt that that forgiveness somehow stopped with him. Like, oh, I've got mine to hell with everyone else. Well, the king finds out and he brings him back and he tells him, 
You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? And he's very angry and turns him over to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And in case we have forgotten, which I don't think we have, that's impossible. He's going to be in jail forever. And uh, Jesus then sums this whole thing up with a heavy statement of law. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So that's the that's the parable. And uh, all right. Yeah. And it doesn't really just stop there because it'd be a horrible way to end a sermon. Right. I mean, the parable stops here, but it's not really where the sermon's going to end. Right. Right. Because it kind of works in. And uh, backwards order. It does, yeah. It's a it's a it's a gospel and law sermon. If I, if I, I mentioned in the Winkle, and to me, this is something I I I like to think about. Is uh, you know, when we hear about it, we always this parable. Now you didn't go this direction, um, but we always place ourselves in the the forgiven servant and how. Right. We better do the right thing, or we'll be right. punished. Right. Right. But I also think it's good to to place yourself to see yourself in this parable as the the one. The third guy, right? To, uh, of uh, what it what it what it's like to be unforgiven, right. by someone, and and what a what a cold place that actually is, right? And and to to realize that, uh, um, you know, t- to love someone and to show love your neighbor is you don't want anybody to be put in that position, right? No, so that- so, question, Vicar. Mm-hmm. Um. So is it uh, in this parable? If we if we relate to Jesus' words to condemnation, right? Right. Um, what is it that ultimately condemns? Unbelief. Unbelief. Right. So um, when you think about unbelief, goes hand in hand with unforgiveness. Right. Right. So right. You, to 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 unbelieve the forgiveness that you have in Christ is reflected in unforgiving those who sin against you. Right. Right. The the servant that would not forgive his fellow servant has in effect despised the forgiveness that he received um, because he is unwilling to live the reality of of his own forgiveness. Yeah, by rejecting by rejecting the plea for the man who wanted who needed to be forgiven by saying no you must pay he that is money ultimately that probably the king had already forgiven because right the money that he would have given really would have been belonged to the king anyways right like a million times over right 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 so so say this guy gave the money back before the forgiveness the man would have had to turn it over to the to the king anyways right absolutely and so he is what he's doing is he is forbidding this man to ha- be to receive the forgiveness that had already been given right that's absolutely right. And so we we see here that uh, if if you think the forgiveness stops with you, then you have misunderstood the gospel. Um, and also, I think like because it's a parable and it's in terms of money, like uh, I think for a person to try to figure out, like, am I making this mistake in my life somewhere? Uh, then I would encourage you to think about who are you holding a grudge against? You know, who out there are you holding a grudge? Who out there do you think of? And as you tell the story about the time that person maybe that was close to you that they hurt you you get angry as you tell the story and um 
that's the person that needs your forgiveness. Right. So in a way, you're, you're saying to be the opposite of a debt collector. A debt collector searches out for all those people who owe debts and tries to get as much from those folks that he can, right? Right, right. Right? Yeah, most seminarians are well aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, and uh, I would say this is you're asking to be the opposite. You're saying, okay, be a forgiveness collector. Go out. Yeah. Find out those people that need your forgiveness that you need to make amends with. Like, go search out and yeah. cancel those debts. Like, right. be the this the, the opposite of a debt collector. You know, searching. You know how a you know how intently debt collectors can come, right? Oh yeah, right. And so you think, well, why can't we be so intent, right, in the forgiveness, yeah, that we have, right. We should go out of our way to pass along the forgiveness that we received. And and, and you mentioned in your sermon uh, that uh, you you actually give a few things because it's one thing because you talk about in your sermon forgiveness from the heart. Yes. Right. Um, and I think we struggle. That's one thing we struggle with. But you give some things in your sermon. You don't just say you need to do this. You give some. Yeah. Some. Some some uh, things a, to think about. Well, what does that mean? Right. There's a practical angle uh, in the sermon about, well, what does forgiveness from the heart look like? And just... On, because a lot of people say will say, I want to forgive. I just have trouble doing it. Yeah. I want to and I'm having trouble doing it. And we just had All Saints Day and the reading for that was the Beatitudes. And there's a couple of great uh, uh, verses right there that touch on this very issue. One, it says... Uh, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And so we should be, therefore, seeking God's mercy so that we can give mercy to others. So that's one of the ways we should be praying that, in other words. Lord, have mercy on me. I mean, if you look at the divine service, by the way, we say that about nine times. Lord, have mercy. Um, And so we should be seeking that specifically to give mercy. And also, right there in that same uh, Sermon on the Mount, next to the Beatitudes, uh, Jesus exhorts us to pray for our enemies and those that despitefully use us. And praying for our enemies is transformative. We we talked about this, Pastor. We talked mm-hmm. about you can't consistently and repeatedly pray for your enemy and have that uh, in, in, that it won't change you. It will change you. In other words, to continuously. And pray. this this is something because we talked about. It. I, you know, when I practically speaking, when someone comes to me and they say I am having trouble forgiving someone. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things I ask them to do. Right. And, and you could tell, like, the first time you talk to them about it, like, really? Right. Like, oh. Right. You know, no, pray for their well-being. Pray for their faith. Right. Pray that, you know, all the things that you would think Christ wants for you, pray for that for that person as well. And it, it's really hard to continue to pray for someone and be angry with them. That's Absolutely. Well, so we were, even though, and I, and I make this point as well in the sermon, even though our emotions can lag behind the our intent to forgive somebody, keep repeating the words of God, praying for your enemies, praying for mercy for you and for them, the enemy or the person that was close to you that hurt you. And it will, your emotions will catch up. It can take time, but don't rely on your feelings, but on the word of God. So I'm, I'm going to tie two parables together here. Okay. I'm going to tie this parable with the parable of the lost sheep. Okay. All right? Because, so, as the, the, we both deal with forgiveness, right? right? Both being bringing back to the fold, right? Yes. And uh, the shepherd was not satisfied. He leaves the 99 behind so he can go search out for the one 
that was missing that needed that was forgiveness. missing yeah. that needed forgiveness, right? And so when we pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. In the same way, when we talk about forgiveness and forgiving others, to seek out. Right. Think of, be active in thinking. Who, who is estranged? Who, who, who's, will be granted greater peace by me offering forgiveness? Right. Right. I mean, in a, in an arm. In our culture, with the the sheer amount of divorce there is nowadays, I think that a lot of us can think immediately of an ex that uh, that we probably need to pray for, so that we don't end up keeping that one person unforgiven. Uh, because culture and society and social media would tell you the right thing to do is to despise that person, follow them on social media, and make sure they're doing very poorly in life, and then celebrate how badly things are going for them, things and, like that. And I would say this too. This is one thing, and this still goes with, with every sin, okay? If you're worried about this forgiveness, I think, like, am I forgiving? I think if you're struggling with it, that's that's a huge thing. So, for example, um, I've talked to a lot of elderly people. Okay. Okay? And I've talked to a lot of elderly people who are in this situation. They want to forgive. They know they should forgive. But... They have trouble, like, sometimes with elderly folks, they get something stuck in their head, and they, they don't have the ability to get it out of their head. Hmm. So I want to forgive, but, like, it's like a replay movie going back. Like, they whenever they, they try to relax, all of a sudden, boom. Right. And it makes, it, it gives them a real visceral action. And they think, oh, I, I worry about my salvation because I'm unforgiving. And I, and I would... At wonder and talk to them now. Um, you desire to forgive them, right? Yeah, right. You know, um, and uh, you, you're seeking to forgive. You're seeking God's strength to forgive. That's different than saying, "Oh yeah, I'm just going to be angry. I'm never going to forgive that person." Right. right. That's different. Right. And so I think that goes with with all of us. I mean, I mean, people do horrible things to each other, and some things. You know, it, it's one thing to say. Okay, yeah, just forgive, you know, and and seek the forgiveness. Uh, but it's hard to, you know, people have gone through uh, times of like abuse, and you say, "Oh, just forgive them." Right. That that can seem kind of. Well, don't you realize what you're asking me to do? Right. You know, it's a tough thing, and we're we're not saying that something bad didn't happen. We're not saying when you forgive somebody, you're not saying to them, "Well, it's okay. What you did is okay." That is not what forgiveness is. You're not saying that the action was okay. You're forgiving them not because they deserve it, but because they need it. So, and what? And I well, one last question. Kind of take a step away from the text a little bit. Okay. Okay. Since it, uh, I've been kind of uh, the last couple of episodes are about uh, you know the anatomy of a sermon. Okay. What have you this week? And I'd be interested to hear this. Okay. What have you learned about preaching this week? What's stuck in your mind as far as <laughs> sermon writing and ser- sermon preparation that you you think is a particular thing that you learned or grew in as you, you think about your sermon writing? Okay, well, this is so specific, but I'll, I'll just say it anyway. It's what we, we came up with what we coined as the double rat-a-tat-tat. Uh, and what that is, is that towards the end of the sermon, I was going to 
have kind of a bullet pointed, I, there's probably, I probably have to just give the example or won't make any sense. So at the end of the sermon, I'm going to be saying that every second that Jesus spent on the cross, every drop of blood that flowed from his body, every word of absolution from the pastor's mouth, every hymn and every note of every hymn that we sing in the church and every saint celebrating the victory in heaven show us the, uh, the forgiveness of God. And that was kind of going to be where I kind of crescendoed and ended the sermon. But you pointed out uh, as another technique is to that uh, to do the list again, but to emphasize that all those things I just said, and they're in order from the cross to the church to the victory in heaven, say it again and explain that those very things also teach us to forgive others. And so uh, maybe it's silly, but we called it a double rat-a-tat-tat. <laughs> right. So that's what I learned is that uh, doubling up like that, the, 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 the listener's expectations, they, they kind of, they hear it once and it probably sounds good. And then they, as they hear it the second time, they will be rethinking it and kind of forming up the, the list in their own head as they hear it. And coming repeat. up to their own conclusions yeah. so that they're processing it, right? Right. As they're listening, they're becoming more of an active listener. Yeah. So it's a it's it combines a few things. One, the, uh, maybe a rhetorical device of an interest of, of a good list that can catch attention, and then the repetition, so that they're thinking it and answering it practically before the preacher can say it. So I like that. That's that'll be in the sermon. And, and I will I will say too. One thing that I've seen growth in in your sermon writing for this one is uh, uh, the economy of words that we talk about every yeah. every because there was a time where you said, "Well, I really want to." You talked about the opening. Right. And I, what did I say? And I heard a big groan. Uh-oh. Let's see. You, you said you wanted you want to talk about the church's – start with talking about the, the the church's about forgiveness, right? Yes. And you really liked your opening. And I said – but without even looking at it, I said what? You can keep it as long as you uh, – You wanted me to reduce it to like a sentence or something. Or, if, or as long as you keep it Concise, short yeah. and clear. Right. Uh, and I obeyed a little bit on that. It's still probably a longer intro than you would have written yourself, but I really wanted to hammer it home that right. the entire church is about the forgiveness of sins. And it is, by the way, listener, the that's what the church is for, is the forgiveness of sins. Then we should never, ever be like Peter looking for how we can limit this thing that is you know, the, the primary mission of the church. How can yeah. we less but it? Maybe it's my ADHD thing, but <laughs> I have a, such a disdain for intro introductions to sermons. Oh, darn it. I mean, it's it's a little like a cold start compared to my sermons leading right. up to this because I I don't do the typical in our gospel reading this right. morning. I, I I cut that part because that's least. something because uh, it happens so often over the years where I say how like if you just <laughs> take your introduction and just not do it and start yeah there how much is lost not really it, anything. I know it, there's wisdom in what you're saying no doubt because even when I was in creative writing classes back in college a lot of times my first paragraph or two or even more really was just warming me up to what I wanted to say. And a lot of the times uh, in writing, they call that killing your babies, which is such a brutal term. But, you know, you you put all this work into something and you got to cut it out and it feels hard to cut it out, but it'll be a better product if you do. It's um, And so, yeah. Right. And I, I would say writing an introduction isn't a, if it gets you to where to that point in the writing process. Right. Then it, it, even if you don't use it, it's helpful. Right. No, it's valuable. No, it's true. And it reminds me of my tutor in uh, summer Greek back at the seminary who would fill up the entire whiteboard with conjugations of Greek verbs uh, and just do all this careful work. And it was so 
precious and time-consuming, it seemed, that at the end, when he was just erasing it all, I would say, man, isn't that painful? You just did all that work, and now you're erasing it. And he just looked at me and said, it served its purpose. That's how it ends. Like, yeah, that's kind of wisdom right there. All right. So we got a couple of... uh... Uh, questions in our mailbag. That's kind of what I want to do the for the next part of the episode. Peter, play the intro. Confound the clerics. <laughs> All right, we have some confound the clerics. The first one I would like to answer from our mailbag is from Hannah. Yay. So what, what does Hannah have for us, Pete? She says, Dear clerics, I'm interested in your opinions on the Pledges of Allegiance. At the beginning of our homeschool group's community day, we pledge allegiance to the flag and then to the Bible. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I may that I might not sin against God. I grew up rarely, if ever, reciting the Pledge of Allegiance to the Flag and had never encountered this Pledge of Allegiance to the Bible before joining this homeschool community. How is a Christian to understand such pledges? Pledging allegiance to the clerical heirs nation and the behind the collar moments for which it stands, Hannah. <laughs> that well, that, first of all, I would say that last pledge is probably the best one. Yeah, hopefully that can become the the one that everybody in the whole country signs <laughs> on to. <laughs> and I wanted to jump in right away with this too because I spent a lot of time at. Uh, you had the pledge of allegiance to the cross, right? I had the pledge of allegiance to the cross, oh. right? Yeah, we had the Christian flag and we had the uh, American flag, and we. Pledge allegiance to the cross and to the faith, which is like, yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty derivative of the <laughs> of the uh, United States, uh, right? Pledge. It was like we just moved, made it work for the the church, <laughs> right? Okay, you want to hear my theory on that? Mm. Uh, the reason why I think that that came into play is this: is uh, uh, of course you're gonna probably Google it right now and say that I'm wrong, but <laughs> I think probably what happened is. When people are saying the Pledge of Allegiance to the country, they started to think, well, well, I don't even make that kind of pledge to Jesus all the time. Mm, right. Right. It's it's kind of like, well, we got we got to have equal time to God, you know? <laughs> right? So, oh, if we're going to pledge allegiance to the flag. It, okay. So, f- funny enough, right? I'm Googling it, and I, I don't remember what words we used, but I know that none of these were the ones we used. <laughs> Somebody wrote so, their own So, vows. there's a lot of pledges. <laughs> there seems to be a lot. All right. I, I, do you know what pledge I like? I like the lemon pledge. Lemon? Yeah. It makes a, it's, has the, it's for, it makes your furniture nice and shiny. It's got that nice <laughs> lemon smell. Oh, my goodness. That All right, so, went over my head. So let's, let, let me start by answering. First, I want to make a comment on the pledge itself. It says, I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp to my feet and a light into my path. I will hide hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. All right. So one thing that uh, I think I don't pers- I don't like about this pledge hmm. is who's driving it. It is self-centered. It's I, I, I. I, 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 I. Me, 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 me. And, and think of it this way. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, okay? I even have trouble with that. Okay. Because what it's saying is, oh, yes. I give the Bible my seal of approval. Yeah. Okay? Do you understand? I do. I mean, I kind of want to defend it a little bit because there are at least scripture references in here from Psalms especially. Uh, so 
but but you're right. It's turned around to be from the first person perspective, where I don't think the Psalms are stated that way. So, so I guess that, that's one thing. But to to really get into this, okay. Um, what? So you're asked if when you, someone asks Vicar, uh, okay, what? How? How do I understand this? Okay, what's mm-hmm. the first place we go to? Like when somebody is, is this right or wrong? What's the first place you should go to? To the Word of God. All right. And uh, I would say, also the easiest way is to go to the ten. Oh yeah, the ten, ten commandments. commandments. Sure. All right. So, so what com- what commandments do you think? Um, this applies to? Well, I would say, first of all, I think there could be a first commandment issue. And let me explain why. Okay. All right. It's not necessarily the the pledge itself, Mm -hmm. but I think the pledge itself in conjunction with the pledge of allegiance to the flag. All right. Okay. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. Right? Right. Right. This can, in the minds of children who have trouble differentiating certain things, of saying, oh, look at this, God and country. Right. I pledge allegiance to one, I pledge allegiance to the other, and look, it's the... It's the same. Same. They're equal. Equal. (laughs) Right. And I think to children, that might actually cause confusion a little bit. And also to say, almost... To say I pledge allegiance to the to the flag, to the country, and I pledge allegiance to God in the same breath. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. Right. I think that can be confusing to children. I think that can be confusing to say, okay, you know, uh, uh, our country is obviously the great Christian country, and our God is a great Christian God, and it's all the same thing. Ah, Christian nationalism, which is a big thing right now. So, so that can be confusing, and. Um, and so the other thing I would say is about this pledge is uh, um, because it's I, 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 mm-hmm. right? Um, it doesn't really say anything of, of value to the, to the believer. Our Christian faith isn't I, I, I. It's, it's not. You know, compare this, which I would say... If you want to do anything, um, uh, I would say, how about say the creed? If you, it has three eyes. I I was thinking the same thing, and I was gonna. In fact, I think it pushes back a little bit against what you just said because what is it? What's the first word of the creed? I believe, but I, then, right, but, so but the rest of it, you're is, saying is objective truth, but right. In fact, if you go back to the th- the, th- the explanation of the third article, I believe that I, I cannot, cannot by, by my, my own reason or strength, or strength believe in Jesus Christ, my Lord, or come to him. Right. You're saying, I believe that I cannot believe. So <laughs> so even as you say, I believe right. in God the Father Almighty, right? What you're, you're, you're conf- confessing your faith, but then you're saying something of substance. God created the heavens and earth. Mm-hmm. I believe in Jesus Christ. And then who drives the rest of that? Jesus Christ drives the rest of it. Right. So, so as we, we look at this, so I'm going to get back to, I'm, I'm, as I normally do, jump all over the place, oh, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay, so, so to me, I think there could be confusion of, in a sense, having God and country in the order of how you say this. I don't care what order it is. You're saying it's the 
same ball of wax. Mm -hmm. It isn't the same ball of wax. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a great difference between allegiance to God and allegiance to country. To country. Right? Right. And they kind of skipped the parents there, too, as I think about, like, if you wanted this and say ontological order to be fancy, you would want it to be about God. And I think then you'd want it to be about your parents before you pledged allegiance to the country. So they kind of skip a step. Anyway. I, I like that. Yeah, they should. They should add a, a pledge allegiance to my parents. Yeah, that would be way better. That's way better. That's huh, a, Peter. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a fourth commandment. There you go. I guess the pledge allegiance to country is a fourth commandment issue too it is so right. I, I do say if the fourth commandment does play an issue now interesting if you're pledging allegiance to the country i kind of think of it this way okay it's good to have a common good right right but like you in a sense you would say you you have allegiance towards the lutheran church missouri synod right i do yes i say that right is it a blind allegiance no, it's because they reflect the Word of God accurately. Right. And so if the, the Missouri Synod wandered away from the Word of God and the Lutheran Convections, what would happen to your allegiance? It would stay with the Word of God and whoever was saying it and sticking to it accurately. Right. How, how might that inform our allegiance to our country? Right. You know, it's conditional. <laughs> right. Are we going to pledge this allegiance at all times? We can't. Right. So, for example... Uh, uh, place yourself uh, in Germany in the year 1939. Right. And, oh, I'm going to pledge allegiance to my country. Okay. Boy, that would be such a tough situation to be in. Like if if your country goes off the rails like that and you're trying to be patriotic and you could, you could see how people got swallowed up into that and, uh, and had regrets later. Right. And I'll, can I explain another way I see this? This whole confusion, God country thing yeah. that's reflected in this is... Uh, um, how offended people are when someone kneels for the national anthem. Yes, that does offend me, I gotta admit. Right, right. I've had people in within this a five-minute conversation talk to me how offensive that is and then ask, well, why do we have to stand so much in church? <laughs> uh, they, but they can kneel in church. We'd probably let them kneel. Right. <laughs> you understand my point? Yeah, I do. It's funny, like... um. Because it's easier to be offended at the the misstep of somebody else than to look inward, I think, and make sure. Anyway. <laughs> right. So, so I guess that's the first thing is is it's 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 also my my point is of of the order or how you say it. Your pledge allegiance to to the God and our country, and it's like the same. Right. And I know it's probably not meant that way. It, but nevertheless, but, but I imagine Peter uh, probably noticed that confusion and was kind of wondering about that too when he said both pledges together in school. Right? Am I wrong, Peter? Mm -hmm. No. Like, all right, what gives? Are these the same? Like, okay, to be a because uh, I think uh, what we're running into in this confusion is is for example. Uh, um, I think both liberals and conservatives in our country also struggle with this God and country thing. Right. Because um, on the on the, the liberal side, uh, liberals kind of want the government to be your uh, God. Yeah. I was right going to say savior, but okay, God. Right? They're, the government's going to provide for you. The government's going to care for you. Right. Um, the government's going to do all these things. It's up to the government to give everything that you need to be... Right in there, 
you know, and that's why uh, a lot, we're seeing a hatred toward religion because right. because religion has what they want. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Like uh, allegiance to Christ goes above the allegiance to country, and they don't like that. Or at least most oppressive governments don't like that. Right. right? And and I think that a person of a liberal uh, way of thinking, there's a little bit of fear that somebody's going to, some conservative will take over and make them do things in a way they don't like. That they, they have this notion that there's going to be uh, a theocracy, uh, which they don't want uh, at all. And so I think there's, they almost react against a caricature of conservatism. Or that, that's how I see it anyway. And so I guess the other side of that then is I think sometimes conservatives also fall into the trap of we're going to make our government mm, our, our, re- our, our, <laughs> our religion. religion. Right. Right. Christian nationalism again. Yes. Right. The, fall the into the other side of the horse. Right. Right. Um, for, for, and I'll tell you why that doesn't work. Because of the parable you read. Hmm. Right. The king would, was a horrible king. He was a good forgiver. He was a horrible king. Hmm. He's going to run out of money if he forgives everyone their debts all the time. Right. I see what you're saying. Right. 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 You're not want, a good leader. Not he, a good the king. And the, and, and the parable is a horrible king. Right. Don't put him in charge of the banks. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, it'll just be that kind of king is mad chaos. That's not going to work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think a, a government, our country, shouldn't necessarily be a Christian government. I think we should be a country with Christians. Yeah. I, I'll i have to think about that. I mean, the, the notion that we can have a good government without Judeo-Christian values, putting it in just kind of the most eh, sort of neutral terms that I can think of, it, it doesn't seem to work. I mean, to just walk away from all uh, moral foundation and just... Right. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, we're seeing that. Yeah. Uh, we, we see moral outrage without a moral basis right like they yeah, exactly they've walked away from the right the christian part of the foundation so for, so for example uh I, i've been dying to hear your take on kanye west and uh kyrie <laughs> irving but no but uh <laughs> but but you look at for example uh kyrie irving if anybody knows the story if you don't just listen anyways right so he he tweeted a like for a movie right and uh and it was like a ridiculous document. A real document. Uh, uh, like a, I forget. A documentary or something? Documentary is the word I'm And was it, is this the one that was Alex Jones? That was different. That's different. Okay, never mind. Right. So he liked it, and then uh, he was suspended. He, he apologized, but the apology wasn't strong enough. Goodness. Okay. Like he literally just clicked the thumbs up button on something that was... Right, or uh-huh. he may have shared a, and maybe shared a okay, link to it, because it was a movie on Amazon. Okay, Amazon Prime. Anybody could go down and watch it. Cool. Okay, <laughs> and uh, Peter, can you list? Can you find the? There's a, like six conditions that he has to follow if he wants to play again. Oh. Okay. Um, now you think, well, this is strange. What it is is it is outrage without the. Like a, a basis. Right. Like we don't know what to basis on. And right. so what they they want him to play, but uh That's and and next week it'll be some other basis because that is the problem with progressive values is they don't stay. All right. So th- if he wants to play again, this is what he has to do. 
He must apologize for posting a link into a documentary containing anti-Semitic material. He must also condemn the movie. He must make a $500,000 donation to anti-hate causes, which, which, if you think about it, is such a political loaded word. Who knows what that means? Who knows? Right. So, Hopefully, um, Alliance Defending Freedom. <laughs> he must receive sensitivity training, uh, must take training to educate himself on anti-Semitism, must meet with the Anti-Defamation League and Jewish leaders, he must meet with the, the Nets owners to demonstrate his outstand, understanding of the issues. Um, and so he has to do all these things. That's outrageous. I mean, that's not free speech at all. Right. But, but the, here's, a, here's the thing. You ask, well, what's the basis for all this? Right. And it's, it's not just free speech. It's, and so there, since then, like, things have come out. Like the commissioner of the NBA said, said, said well, I don't think— He's anti-Semitic. Okay. Right. So, so they're not just policing what he says. He's they're policing what he thinks. Right. Yeah. The that, that's coming yeah. to the church. By the way, at some point, not only will people be offended at what we say, mm-hmm. it's like what we think, even if we don't say anything. Right. I mean, this is obvious, but the LGBTQ. Uh, issue or agenda or whichever word you choose there after the alphabet, uh, they already, they, whoever those are, uh, are concerned that that the Christian church regards those behaviors as sinful. And I've read a thing recently where you, that might be the first question somebody that is uh, homosexual or otherwise within that alphabet wants to know from you, especially when they find out your clergy is, well, do you think this is a sin? And what, according to what I read, what they're really wanting to know is, are you going to be mean to me? Are we going to be able to talk? But they ask it, uh, they ask it as from, how do I say this? They ask kind of a loaded question because if you answer it, they're going to make a bunch of assumptions one way or the other. You either say, well, yeah, the Bible teaches that's a sin. And then they assume you are a particular way and they go off of the mental image they formed based on that answer. And they would do that if you were the other side of the coin and said, well, no, I, I don't think so. I don't know if like you were a progressive Christian, let's say, in some other denomination. And then they'll have a bunch of opinions on, well, that means you you are this kind of person who lets ev- who, everything's permissible. Right. But anyway. So so getting back to Sorry. this, the question, <laughs> yeah. as we digress. So I would say the first thing is, you shall have no other gods. Does this, especially in conjunction with the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag and then allegiance to God's word, does this bring confusion to the child? Yes. By doing so. Because you're saying, I pledge allegiance to this and I pledge allegiance to this, and it puts those two things as though they're equals in the same category. Right. Okay? Um, so the second point, I would say, and I'm chan- for this next point, I'm going to channel my inner Berg. Okay. Okay. Here comes a rant, I think. <laughs> Real talk. All right. The second commandment is, uh, or the second commandment that I think goes along with this is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Right? Right. And part of that is uh, uh, how you take an oath. What's the difference? Is there much difference between pledging allegiance and an oath? It almost sounds... They sound, they sound the same, don't they? sound very similar. And if you're asking a three-year-old to pledge their allegiance, to make an oath, are they old enough to be doing that? Is that something you'd ever hold them to? 
Are you asking them to make a pledge, an allegiance, and an oath? For example, you know, even even to the country, I'll be honest. Right. Right? You know, if you're three years old or four years old and you're making a pledge to this country, okay, um, are you comfortable with this country that this is a pledge they'll be able to stand to in 30 years? When that three-year-old is 33, when that three-year-old is 34... Right. I have mixed feelings because because we're a little bit older, we're middle-aged. So right. Speak. Well, and the reason why I got to this is is as Berg talked about for example even confirmation vows. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Are is uh someone who's 12 or 13 years old really able do we hold anybody to a vow that they make when they're 13 or 12? Right. Right. So so that being said, if it is an oath or a kind of almost a I'm swearing by to this country or to this thing when I'm not old enough to make this kind of pledge, I don't understand what it means. Is it does it fall in this second category mm-hmm. for this do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain? Does it fall into that character? Uh, especially, you know, is it different between a, a four year old saying they pledge allegiance? And a soldier. It's different. Now, but you've made me think of a, we go over to a a daycare and it's three and four year olds and we teach them to say, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And those are the words of God. So I know that's really different than the Pledge of Allegiance because we're teaching them to say Bible verses. Um, but obviously we're teaching them to make claims, at least in words that they don't fully understand, you know, that can we hold them to right. that? Well, I would say the difference is this. If you're doing it in conjunction with the Pledge of Allegiance to the country and you're saying these things are all in the same boat, these are all in the same category. Right. That's the mistake, Right. Right, right. Especially, and I guess, I guess this this discussion also might be more more in line with the the other pledge. Hmm. Right. So, uh, uh, where can they get a hold of us? They want to get angry with me. <laughs> if they want to be angry with us, we can be reached by email. Feedback at clericalerrors.org. We're also on Facebook, Clerical Errors Podcast, and Twitter. At Clerical Errors P. P for podcast. There we go. All right. So so as we we kind of look at this, so we've talked about a first commandment issue. Right. We talked about taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, and I would say, too, that, that also in the catechism, remember, to call upon it, pray, praise, and give thanks. Right. Call okay. upon his name. Right. So, so um, I guess in that aspect... It's kind of teaching children to do that, right? Right. Right. But I, I still wrestle with the two placed in the same category. Right. It's, it's kind of like uh, when, when uh, what's the offense if someone says, well, we're going to have an interfaith service and, um, and everyone now says, you pray, each spiritual leader will pray to their God. Right. right? Okay, right. And, you're, and say, but I'm, I'm not allegiance to any of these other gods, right? I am only praying to my God, but what are you doing by being a participant? Right. You're saying we are all standing here on equal footing. 
Yes, right, and and it, it leads, it would cause any observer to believe that you uh, legitimize the other faiths, the other beliefs around you. Right. So even if you, I would say, um, uh, even if you were to, but the thing is, the words sound so similar, similar too. Even mm-hmm. the words do the same. Mm-hmm. The words mimic. It's kind of like the rat a tat tat, right? <laughs> okay. Country and God. Rat a tat tat. What you talked about. You you say the one, and then you say it again, and you begin ah. to make your own conclusions. Right. That's what you're doing with the pledges. Right. Now I have to wonder, like, what's the? And maybe I'm jumping the gun. The final advice to Hannah about whether or not her children perform or say these, you know, these pledges. Because I have one idea, but I, but what do you? Well, well, I would say, well, one because it is a homeschool group, right? Right. And because a homeschool group. Uh, recognizes the the primacy of the parent, right? Right. Yeah, they better. <laughs> and and uh, the parent knows. Uh, Hannah will know for her daughter what she understands. Right. Um, she knows the group. She knows the setting. I would. I would. I would give. I perfectly happy giving this information to Hannah and then letting her decide what's best for her daughter. Right. That's close to what I was thinking. The if if you can exp- if Hannah could explain to her daughter what we just talked about, that these mm-hmm. are not equal, but uh, it might be a fine uh, statement to say aloud with her classmates as long as she's old enough to understand this is not equivalent, uh, that the country's just as important as God or something like that. Right. The, the other thing I would say is is this, um, is there is, remember the Sabbath day, since I'm going through the commandments. Yeah. Right? Right. I mean, this does hold it sacred, gladly hear it and learn it. This this pledge does reflect that. Yeah, it's got Bible verses embedded in it. Right. So so that 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 can be a positive thing. Um. Uh. So, can you think of of any kind of biblical examples that maybe this would fall under? A biblical example, like. I, but sprung to mind, I don't know if it applies. We'll have to, I'll say it out loud. We'll see. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's kind of a pledge of sorts. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and I want to frame this, like this whole discussion, I'm not saying the, 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 the country is unimportant and, no. and, and I'm, and you know, yesterday was Veterans Day to remember the, the work and the sacrifice of the veterans that we right. have so that we can have a podcast and have a church and all right. these things and do it in freedom without fear. Right. That is all essentially important. Right. Right? Right. I'm, I'm not yep. saying that. I'm just saying there's an order to these things. There's an order. I mean, I, I'd go so far, maybe nobody's with me, but I do think this is the best country on earth. I do think that. So, But I think it has issues and problems that we need right. to work it's, on. It's kind of like, uh, um, you know, I, I remember uh, th- we had this discussion in Bible study a little bit. Like, if... if uh, this kind of wokeism really starts cracking down the church. Yeah. Like, where are we going to go? Like, we were the go-to place when <laughs> right. that happened, if right? You needed to go somewhere. If, if for... you wanted to be able to to be Lutheran, yeah, for a time, where'd you have to go? You had to come here, right? Right. And it used to be that I thought, well, maybe New Zealand, because there was this notion that they were kind of like the United States in the 1950s or something. But I don't even think that's a safe haven anymore. The yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. So you think well? That that's why it's important to 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 have a country and be willing to die for those freedoms. And and because when you're dying for those freedoms, 
you're in a sense as a Christian dying that the word of God can be heard too. Right. Right. This reminds me, the confirmation students, we brought it up that they're making pledges at the ages of 12 or 13. And, and I did point out to my confirmation students that at the end of the confirmation class, you will be saying, I would rather die than walk away from Christianity. So I did want them to know that <laughs> the importance of the pledge they're making. Right. And there's, that's, well, I hope that never is the option in front of them, but it has been in history, and it could well be again right. someday here. I guess the one thing I, I kind of, um, this is where Berg would be good, because he would have like five examples right off the, the top right. of his head. of course. Right. Uh, but I would say, um, I think there's right now in our country, there's a lot of, of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going around. Okay. Where, okay, when this sound happens, you must... You got to bow. You got to... You have to say, this is your God now. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what's happening in a lot of circles. That's what, you know, that's what Kyrie is going through. It is, right. And uh, even uh, Professor Scare from Wisconsin, I think it is, uh, is kind of going through the ringer. I don't know if you know that issue. No. Oh, okay. It's It's not... You know what? I think I've got his name wrong. At any rate, there's a professor within the Concordia system. Oh yeah, tossed out because he, you know, didn't toe the line on some of the, the the culture that seeped in even to the Concordia system. Right. So. So. Um, Schultz maybe is his name. Right. But but, it, you know, thinking of, um, demanding a belief allegiance. You know I. I, I str- so I'm I'm with you, Hannah, and I hopefully I gave you some things. I didn't completely answer it. I gave you some uh, a way of applying the Ten Commandments that I do think uh, answers a lot of your questions. Um, but uh, Peter, any any reactions? Because you seem to have a kind of a little bit of reaction to all of this. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, I think it's there's good in there, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not it's not a bad thing to say I believe in God, right? Right. Right. Um it's maybe in a misguided fashion that they do it, but and, and, and is it better is it better that they do it versus just not at all? Hmm. Yeah. Or is there a better is there a better, you know, this is this answers I don't have questions to, right? Right. Well, I think there I, I think there are better ways than to to do the pledge allegiance to the Bible. I think just repeat the creed maybe instead. The creed, right? Yeah, that's what the, Christians use. The Lord's prayer. Centuries. Right, and the Lord's prayer, right? Right. Um though those are ways in which I think uh might be a better way or, or talking, you know, um you know, uh uh, the the Ten Commandments, all all those things might be a, a better way to do it, right? You know, or at least you know, uh, you know, making separation of not bringing the the pledge allegiance to the Bible at the same time, right? You know, do make it a part of um, because there's a fourth commandment issue too, because the government is God's representative on earth, right? Uh, to protect us. Or just teach them the two Bible verses that are encapsulated in it. Make a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and uh, hiding God's word in my heart that I might not sin against Him. And I, I guess part of it too is this: the gospel doesn't grow necessarily out of forced allegiance. No. Right. Not really. Even if somebody's going through the motions, it's 
you haven't right. extended the kingdom of God. And this connection of the two creeds, what what I would fear if if someone is grows up in this, mm-hmm. right? Because we're we're seeing right now um, all sorts of issues that just because we've been trained always come as a, as a package deal. So, right. for example, um, you cannot be a pro life Democrat. That's the package, right? Right. You can't be. That does it. Just doesn't work. Right, or an environmentalist Republican, supposedly. You can't do that. Right. These issues are always a package deal. You're, and, and so because everything becomes a package deal because we don't aren't very good at nuance. Right. Right? Yeah. We can't win elections with nuance. Right. Um, uh, having these two creeds together can, and some people, make it a package deal. Right. So one of these children, as they grow older— and they grew up saying these two pledges together, when they become disillusioned with their country, what happens? There might be a possibility when they're disillusioned with their country of going back to that, oh, this is a package deal. If I'm disillusioned with my country, uh, I, in my mind, have lumped also God now into this. I've pledged allegiance to both. They're the same. In my mind, they're connected Right. And I think we do see that right now with the like a a militant atheist. You know, they're almost certainly on the left side of of, on their political views as well. I mean, it's the package deal. They've tossed out everything. Oh, there's a patriarchy and patriotism means that you're some radical conservative Christian nationalist. And so I can't be patriotic and we need to have a revolution. And you're right. We see the the sharp divide split in package deals. And and, and I guess that's another aspect of. Of my biggest issue probably is is putting these things together, right? Because you don't want that you don't want to teach a child that these two things are just go hand in hand. So that when if a child grows to be disillusioned with one, they're going to do it with the another. Yeah, yeah. I thought of a possible solution, cool. and that is just have a prayer, do the Lord's prayer, and then do your and then do the pledge of allegiance. Because you're not making a pledge, right? Right. It's separate things. It's not like when you're you're closing your eyes and you're folding your hands and you're having a prayer, and then you move on to something that is different. I'd probably I like that. I'd probably separate it so that you in, maybe started the class with the pledge of allegiance and maybe closed the class with the Lord's prayer to make it distinct instead of equal. That's so, one idea. Okay. Well, uh, Hannah, if you have any other questions about this, yeah. um, if, hopefully we gave you a few things to think about. Um, I gave you uh, my thoughts, and I tried to apply the Ten Commandments to it. Nice. Um, and and the fact that, uh, um, uh, you know, even the invocation, like if it's the beginning, even an invocation, you know, it's baptism, I'm here as a baptized, that's different than... I pledge allegiance because there's also, I'm getting off another tangent here. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're running out of time. So. All right. Also, there's an aspect of, of acceptance theology in this pledge. Like decision theology? Decision theology. Yeah. There is. That, that's another aspect. It is. I'm saved because I have pledged allegiance to these things. Right. I have decided to be a Christian. Right. Whereas invocation is I'm here as a, because of what Christ has done for me. Right. So, um, you know, I was watching on TV and, and there was a episode 
where where they had the the salvation prayer, and and they actually lead in a thirty second commercial. Right. If you said this prayer, you're saved. Well, okay, great. Right. Yes, I grew up with that. I I know about the the salvation prayer. Right. Um. Anyways, all right. Uh, we're running short on time, but I I do want to get to this other question. So we we got another question. Uh, and Peter, why don't you read the email? Yeah, so this is this is an anonymous question. Uh, it says, hey, Pete, it's directed to me. So they say, tell Pastor Bullhagen I appreciate the episodes. I like the ADHD one. It helps me understand what people are going through. Question for the clerics, though. Uh, I often hear, don't speak ill of the dead. Is it biblical? It sounds superstitious, and superstitions can be a separate question, saying, bless you, knock on wood, seeing a cardinal. Because we speak ill of, about dead people in the Bible who do bad things. Thanks. Okay. All right. So, Vicar, what's my first question? <laughs> I I don't know what your first question is, but that's a uh, go ahead. What commandments? Oh, we're going back to the commandments. Ah, uh, see, 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 you're noticing the pattern. It's the eighth the... commandment, then. Right. I, <laughs> I think this has to do with with the eighth commandment. Um, and the Eighth Commandment is about protecting someone's reputation, name. Reputation, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Name and reputation. And so, uh, I one thing I will say is, is sometimes someone's name uh, goes beyond just their name. Okay. Right? So, if something were to happen to me and my name is kind of brought through the mud, right? Right. Uh, the, what does that say? Does that affect Peter's name? It does. Yeah. So, so I guess the first thing I will say to answer this is, uh, speak of the dead the way that you would want hmm. the dead to that others to speak of you when you're when you're dead. dead. Now yeah. you might say, well, well, it doesn't matter to me. Right. It could seem like, oh, what do I care? I'm dead anyway. Oh, but you do care. If you love your family, you do care. Yeah. Right. Right. I would. Just like right. that's like saying, oh, my funeral doesn't. I'll be dead. My funeral doesn't matter. No, your funeral matters a lot. That's interesting. Ah, it's an aside. I better not. We're out of time. <laughs> Your matters, it matters a lot. So so the first thing I would say to answer this is um, uh, there's a too soon aspect of this. Yeah. Right? Right. Like if you're talking recently dead, that's right. one thing. Because I have heard actually uh, to my amazement and sadness, I've been to other funerals where basically embarrassing things were said about the deceased hmm. with the attitude of, well, they're, they're with Jesus now. Now we can say these things, ah. right? To me, that that's that, that 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 is not faithful to the eighth commandment, right? It did was there ever a caveat like, well, if this person was alive and standing here right now, they would also laugh about this? And it happened in a way which I know the person would, would have been would have been mortified, embarrassed. Yeah, I, I said mortified because it was funnier. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you just said it so deadpan. I didn't get it. <laughs> Oh goodness! <laughs> did he even catch that one? That I don't think I don't so. Think he did. No. <laughs> Deadpan, Vicker. Oh, Dead sorry, you're right. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I was too proud of myself for my my pun and plan words to catch yours. You're dealing with a professional out. here. That's true. <laughs> you want to go toe to toe with me in puns? No, I, I've been right. defeated already. <laughs> All right. So, so I I think the eighth commandment applies in that. Right mm-hmm. now, when you uh, talk about um, so when you say something about someone's grandpa, for example, okay, that that hurts the that can hurt the name 
of others. Okay? The, the other aspect of it then, too, is, yes, the Bible does do it. It speaks of the dead. Um, why don't you grab a Bible? Okay. Um, one of the examples I, I think of is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Okay? Uh, the Bible does point out a lot of, of the dead and what happened as a way of lesson and learning from them. Okay? And that's different. That is learning from mistakes. And that is kind of, in a sense, learning as a people and as a group. Um, and uh, um, I don't think my concern is, when speaking of the dead, of just the Eighth Commandment issue, protecting someone's names, uh, speaking of the dead the way you would want others to speak of you after you're dead. Um, and... Uh, uh, so, for ex- so, for example, the Bible is filled with, anytime you're talking about the Old Testament, you're talking about death yeah, and the dead. And the Bible uses all sorts of examples of, of people who died, and we should learn from the lessons of their death. Right. Right? Um, but at the same time, uh, um, I do think it's important to, to respect and honor the names of others uh, even after they're dead, because that just in the same way, Vicar, we would say you also respect the body after death, right? Mm-hmm. We do say that. We sure do. Right. Uh, uh, saying that uh, the that is important, and the Bible would bear that out, right? And there's lots of things in the Bible you could say are done in remembrance of the be- dead. There are lots of things in the Bible. Uh, uh, to say we remember the dead and we protect their name after they've died. I think. Okay. Um, what What is this Bible reference I was supposed to be looking at? Uh, for, uh, First Corinthians ten. Okay, I I have found that by the way. All right. So, um, so I, I in answering that question, I it's for me it's not a superstition thing, um, and if that would be a first commandment issue, if it's about superstition and you don't want, you know, uh, something bad to happen if you speak of the dead, I would say from our point of view. Um, eighth commandment issue applies more. Okay, right. Um, that doesn't mean, though, you can't confront things that are said wrong, teachings that are wrong, and be a student of history. That's right. not what I'm saying. Um, and the eighth commandment would also then uh, uh, would also be about bearing false witness. That means, too, that your histories are correct and accurate and able to teach and because... So, anyways, here's an example of Paul speaking of dead yep. that happened in, in, a, in a good way. Go ahead. Should I start from verse 1? Is that where you meant? Yep. Okay. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters. Okay, you, can, you can stop there, because he starts to go through a, right. like the, the various sins. Yes. But but what Paul does here, he's, he's, he speaks of the dead, right? He does. 
And he doesn't necessarily speak of them in a glowing term. Nope. <laughs> they were overthrown in the wilderness because God right. was not pleased and, with and them. And what is he doing? He's doing it in such a way he's equating uh, the church at Corinth with them. They had the same gifts that you have now, baptism, uh, the word right, of God, right. you know. Uh, they were, in a sense, baptized. They had, they had Christ, the rock, the water, all of that. They had right. everything that you have today. They were the Even more clear you have it now, right? Because right. you have seen the rest of the story here. But he's saying he's using their deaths as uh, in the wilderness as an example to learn. And that is a good thing, and that's how the Bible yeah. does it. Speaks of the dead. And it also the Bible does this too. Like, like if the dead represent a dangerous and false teacher or a dangerous false god, uh, uh, God also makes sure in their death and how you talk about their death in a way that whatever they taught is anathemized. Mm. For example... Uh, when Pharaoh and all his hosts were were drowned in the Red Sea, right? Right. That was a sign into them. They, that's a death that they should talk about and remember. Right. Because it, it taught them the biblical truth of who God is. And that's that's different than like your personal relationships with others, uh, how you speak of someone. To say, well, they're dead. I can say whatever I want about them. I don't think that's that falls in line with Scripture. Okay. No, I agree because we don't we don't believe that we stop existing at death, right? I right. Mean, so we would be teaching a wrong lesson if we said somebody's dead now. It doesn't matter what we say. Right. And and there's for example, uh, but there's a difference between I think how people died as well. If there's so for example, there's discussion of Judas when he was died. They don't they don't walk gently around that. Right. And and you know they reference it. The New Testament reference it, and 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 make lessons of it, but I do think uh, the eighth commandment isn't nullified by death. So said it. I don't not for spirit, not for superstitious reasons or no. anything like that. But I think that hopefully provides the listener in that question some clarity as well. Right, we're caring about the survivors, the the, the living ones that knew the dead person, by being careful how we speak. Right. But false teaching, false doctrine, that's different. Yeah. Always address that. Always attack the false doctrine. That's correct. All right. That brings us to the end of this episode. We were kind of long-winded. I hope that's okay. (laughs) But so it goes. Uh, Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. This is Vicar. And may your allegiance be to the Clerical Heirs Nation. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.